Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, folks, i got to play some audio for you right at the start of the show. Uh, head coach Mike Tomlin had quite possibly the quote of the year thus far. Uh, during a press conference today as we record, he was asked uh, about potentially going down to college and coaching in college because I guess there's rumors of that. Yeah, I, I, this was the first time I heard it. Yeah, first I've heard of it, but still, quote of the year, folks. Uh, I'm going to play it for you right now. Hey, guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, <laughs> that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. All right. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? Uh, so you're saying there's a chance. This is the first time I've ever heard anything about this, so the answer is definitively no for that, but it's definitely yes for the ODPH podcast, talking some sports, and we want to definitely keep that conversation going with you. Head on over to odphpodcast.com, join in the conversation on social media, all our accounts are there, check out the T Public store, check out the links to Parlay Points, the complimentary blog section to the show, all that and so much more. And remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. So that being said, we got to talk some sports, Pad. You yeah. up for it? Yeah. And obviously, we kick off every sports edition of the ODPH, recapping the week that was in the NFL. A lot of football to go through. So let us go through our locks and leaps, where we gave our picks of who was going to win via the Vegas line. So, Pad... Kick us off. Yeah, I'm going to start with my lock. I chose the Green Bay Packers to defeat the Washington football team, and they did uh, by the final score of 24 to 10. Aaron Rodgers had 27 of 35 for 274 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, and then Taylor Henneke had 25 of 37 for 268 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception, would have been another touchdown. But there was a bit of a kerfuffle, a little bit of a mess up on his part where he went to run into the end zone. And then because he didn't go in a certain way, it didn't count. And after all, after that decision was made, or should I say prior to that decision being made, he went and found like the one Washington football fan in the front row at the end zone he was running into, went and did a Lambo leap with them because he grew up in the Green Bay, you know, in that general neck of the woods, you know, his family was a Green Bay Packers fan. So he grew up a Green Bay Packers fan. So he always wanted to do the leap. He went and did the leap and then the flag came out and then they reviewed it and like, Hey, you know what? It's not actually a touchdown. And then he didn't get a touchdown. I feel bad for the guy. That's kind of the story of Washington's season. Yeah, kind of. If you think about it. Because obviously we know they play in the weakest division in all the NFL. Yes. There's no question about this. NFC least. Exactly. Except for Dallas. Dallas is, well, that's due to Trayvon Diggs. True. Let's face it. True. He turned that entire team around. You can at me at OD Parlay Hour, and you can at Meslin and debate this all you want, but it's fact. 
This team lives and dies off their defense now, and Dallas has now developed an identity. Where we look at Washington, and they have all the pieces in place, but, man, they just cannot put it together. Obviously, their quarterback situation is not the greatest, to put it mildly, Mm -hmm. that you're asking a lot from the backup to do some work, and especially trying to go against the man that is on the, uh, I don't want to say comeback tour, but he has a unique agenda this season <laughs> and that is the man the myth the legend known as Aaron Rodgers don't call it a comeback I've been here for years well that's the whole thing about him right now and you can see that little chip on his shoulder that we talked about this entire season mm-hmm. with all the drama that the front office gave him and you could say whatever side you're on team Green yeah, Bay yeah. or team Rodgers yeah, yeah it don't matter he is playing at such a high level that they are downright Scary. Oh, they are. And he's playing with a chip on his shoulder that would make Frito Lay, you know, envious. Yeah. You know, just because it, with as tumultuous and as rocky as this offseason was for that team, and it's well documented. Go back and listen to previous shows. He's absolutely got something to prove when realistically he ain't got nothing to prove. Like he is first ballot Hall of Famer, going to go down as one of the best of all time to ever do it. And yet he's still coming out here and going, I'm still going to prove you wrong for even doubting I should have been here. Well, that's the whole idea that you should have this entire year. That no matter what happens next season, right now you owe it to your team and you owe it to the fans to really set the example of why you're one of the best in the league. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that. He's being Aaron Rodgers of old. I know at the beginning of the season we were kind of questioning where his head was sure. at. Sure. It's fully established he's ready to play now. Uh huh. Now, whether it's to audition for another team or do it himself, which I tend to think the latter. He's playing at such a high level that Green Bay has to be considered Super Bowl contenders right now. Oh, easily. I think, and obviously a very stacked NFC, they're standing out, and it's really because of Rodgers. Their defense does not scare anybody, let's be honest. No. But if you're going to go into Lambeau Field, you got to expect to deal with Aaron picking apart your defense. The only thing that worries me, and this is right now, so if you're listening to this in the future, this might not apply. As we record, Devontae Adams and then Alan Lazard, two of the wide receivers for Green Bay, are on the Packers' COVID list. Mm-hmm. So that's the only – now, if, could it be like a week or two and then they're back? Sure. But if it's a long extended period thing, which, again, not wishing, hoping them have a fast and speedy recovery. Absolutely. You know, that's the only thing that concerns me because Aaron Rodgers loves throwing him some balls to Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Look at the numbers. You know, and Alan Lazard also catches some balls. Uh, so that again, you still have Rodgers at quarterback, so it'll be fine. But when you're losing one of your key offensive features, concerns me just a hair. It it is it warrants concern because obviously when you lose your receivers that you're comfortable with and you know they're you have that chemistry with, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who you are. It's going to throw your game off a little bit. However, in this case. Rodgers is known to spread the ball around. Yeah, and he's not concerned, you know, about their status uh, for Thursday. You know, and he did say, you know, when asked how the Packers have gone 6-0 and without uh, Devontae the last two years, he said, quote, I don't know. We're not a better team without him. That's for sure. We just found a way in each of those games. Well, they're going to have a very steep challenge for them this week. There's no question about that. Taking... They're playing Arizona on short rest on Thursday. Yeah, so this is going to be a real test to see where the Packers rank against the elite of the NFC. Washington is not in that conversation. No. I'm sorry no. if if any Washington football team fans are listening. Your team is not good, but I think you understand that. And Hineke is not the guy 
It's yeah. it's it. I'm sorry, he just isn't. I've seen him play a few times this season, and when he's your leading rusher, yeah, that's not a good sign. No, and you're having no other offensive weapons going. McLaurin is doing what he can. I mean, obviously, 122 and a touchdown is not a bad stat line mm-hmm. by any stretch. Yeah, but is he somebody that's going to take over a game for you? Is he somebody that's going to set the tempo for you? Yeah, no, and unfortunately you guys don't sustain drives long enough to give your defense a break because no. usually, from what I've seen thus far, that Washington defense breaks around mid-third quarter. Yeah, I mean, they, they kept in it for the most part. You know, it was 14-7 uh, to 7 at halftime, which ain't too bad. You know, that's you're still right in it. But then you didn't score anything outside of a field goal for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, your defense gave up a touchdown in the third and then another field goal in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so... That being said, if you can't close out games because you're too tired, you're going to wind up losing. It's usually right. a lot of averages. Right, and it's just like, like you said, the defense for Washington isn't good, but then also, as you mentioned, you know, the, the offense just isn't as good because you mentioned the running game, but I'm also looking at you know just everybody on offense, and I'm sorry, like there's a bunch of injuries in the NFL right now, and by weeks I know I was talking to a buddy. He was having to pick up like third-string, fourth-string tight ends just because his normal guy was you know declared out for the game. And then the other guy, his backup was on a bye, and then he was having issues because two of his running backs were on a bye. So, like, everyone's having these issues. We're starting to run into bye weeks and, and everything with fantasy football. None of these guys on the Washington team are like, you know what, that's a name I'm going to pick up for a week if the matchup is right. No, I mean, you can't really have a lot of faith in that. It's just Washington. There's one thing to say they're inconsistent, but there's another to just say they're not good. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, this team is just not good. I mean, yeah. There's nothing that is screaming potential with this team. I think that in the offseason, it's going to be another overhaul. It and, has to and, be. And see what you get. It has to be. Because for what we've seen thus far this season, it's not a lot to be a win. Yeah, and you, I don't think you can put any of this on, on the head coach. You know, oh, of course not. You're you're expecting him to go out and, and win the Daytona 500, and all you've given him are Lincoln Logs. Well, that's a great analogy. That's the one problem that you have, but the expectations are a little slanted because you're in the NFC least, as you put it. And let's face it, there's one good team, three subpar. You could possibly sneak in there if you were playing well enough. Yeah. But they're not, and it just doesn't look like they're going to be improving that by any stretch of the imagination. No. So we can just kind of write them off for right now. However, though, you did say Green Bay – is going head-to-head with Arizona on short week's notice. Uh, this coming Thursday, yep. And then after that, how are they looking? Huh. Try playing this schedule. And this is part of the reason why I say uh, Adams and Lazard being out concerns me because they've got a rough stretch here. So they play Arizona this coming week, as we mentioned. After that, they play Kansas City in Kansas City week 9. Uh, week 10, they stay at home to play Seattle. Mm. Uh, week 11, they go up to Minnesota to play the Vikings. Week 12, they stay home to play the Rams. And then they've got their bye week. Yikes. That's a tough stretch. Yeah, it is. So we'll see how great Aaron Rodgers is this season. I He's going to keep them in games. There's no question of that. But mm-hmm. this could be a very, very pivotal stretch for them. Yeah. Because now you're going to be facing a lot of the upper echelon of the NFC. You got the Rams. You got Arizona. You've got Kansas City, which, I mean, we'll get into a little later in this segment, but you never know what you're going to get out of them. True. So this is the time to really put some wins together and really mark your turf in that you are a legit contender. I mean, this that's all you have to do with Aaron Rodgers. I think he's going in with that mentality. And he will go and he will ball and he will do what he can. 
The biggest X factor of this team is going to be that defense because are they going to shut down Kyler Murray? Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. Christ, that Arizona team on uh, Sunday looked real damn good. Mm -hmm. And then are they going to be shutting down Patrick Mahomes if he's playing? Uh, Are they going to be shutting down Matt Stafford? You would say that they probably are more familiar with him of all three of the quarterbacks I just mentioned. Yeah. But it all depends on what happens at the game. So you have to consider that moving forward. But with this win, Aaron Rodgers does have some momentum going in. They beat a bad team, but that's what good teams do. That's what you have to do. So now the true test is what are you going to do Thursday night against Arizona? And we'll be definitely talking about that next week, rest Mm -hmm. assured. Now flipping over to your leap, though, and this was my leap as well. Yeah, uh, we both took the Tennessee Titans to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and boy, oh boy, did they ever, winning by the final score of 27-3. Ryan Tannehill had 21-27 for 270 yards passing, uh, one touchdown, one interception. Patrick Mahomes had 20 of 35, 206 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Patrick Mahomes did, of course, leave the game uh, at one point. I think it was late in the game. Mm-hmm. Took a wrestling, leaping, flying knee. Like He was looking like some wrestler in WWE coming at him with that. Uh, and uh, was removed from the game because of concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as of this recording, we're not quite sure what his status is. I believe he's cleared. Okay, so that's good. Uh, but, you know, Tennessee obviously got the win, and... The uh, Kansas City Chiefs have now fallen to three and four, and Patrick Mahomes has nine interceptions for the year through seven weeks. I will break this down very, very easily. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense has been figured out. Told you so. And this is one scenario that Andy Reid and company are really going to have to sit back and rethink their strategy and maybe their mantra of how they want to do their offensive style. Because the pomp and circumstance, I guess you could say, of Mahomes' eclectic style of throwing is now getting picked off. He is not getting enough pressure to get the ball open to receivers. Teams are figuring out that if if you press them in, you kind of pinch them in with your defensive ends, and you really force them to get happy feet. Mm-hmm. He is not feeling comfortable enough to throw the ball downfield, in my opinion. This it was more evident in this game against the Titans than I think I've seen in recent memory. Because when he got that happy feet and he was getting really swarmed with the ball, he was overthrowing Tyreek Hill. Yeah. He was overthrowing Kelsey. He was really not looking like the all-pro Super Bowl winning quarterback that we know. No, I mean it's like you said, teams have you know it's it's the Golden State Warriors effect where the first couple of years they were nigh unbeatable. They went on that run that was rivaling the Lakers from back in the day. Mm-hmm. But then teams figured them out and they weren't winning quite as much. And the same is said for the Kansas City Chiefs that they have essentially become a one-trick pony. Teams have figured out what that trick is. And now they know what to do. And this is where the great teams and the great coaches adapt, change, figure out something new to come at you with a game plan, and continue to get better. Now, I'm not saying Andy Reid isn't a great coach, but he's Mm -hmm. a a very good coach. Look at the record and look at the the accolades. But to be that great coach and be in that upper echelon, if we're doing a tier ranking of of uh, coaches in the NFL, to move up another tier, you know, to go from that like A tier to S tier, This is where you have to make those adjustments, and right now he's not doing it. He's not doing it, and I think that they're hoping the ship writes itself, you know, in the rough waters. Yeah, I just don't know if it's going to do that. I just haven't seen it this season. Like, this team was exposed. The Raiders did it last season, and teams picked up on it. 
that if you have a run game that can punch somebody in the mouth, and let's face it, that is all Tennessee offense is running the ball with Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. If you get punched in the mouth enough there and you can't come back and battle blow for blow with a strong running game, Kansas City is pressured and they just they're faltering. Yeah, no, and, they're, they're and fal- you can see it. They're faltering on the field, off the field, and I'm sorry, like it needs to be said. Patrick Mahomes needs to get his house in order between his brother and the antics he did in the Washington game. Yo. Which if you're not familiar, uh Patrick Mahomes' brother did a dance for I believe it was a TikTok mm-hmm. on the Washington field on uh 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 what what was it they put on the field? Was it like just a, a thing for Sean Taylor's? Yeah, it was, it was a, a, it, for the Sean Taylor Memorial game. Yeah, so they had a, a thing on the field for Sean Taylor since they were retiring his number, you know, at, in the stadium. His brother danced on said thing on the field. Yeah, which and, and Sean Taylor, one of the most loved and respected players in NFL history. Mm. Yeah, and then you've got his wife on Twitter who won't sh- who won't like stop stirring the pot. Yeah. And doing all this nonsense, you know, retweeting somebody over the weekend going, uh, showing slow motion replays of gruesome hits or injuries should be illegal. One of the most barbaric elements of the sport, SMH. Like, yes, it's true to an extent. Like, obviously, the one I can think of is the Alex Smith injury from a couple of years yeah. ago. Where it happened live, and then they didn't show it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's really bad. You know, but at the same token, like, it's, it's part of the game. It sucks, yes, but... You know what? It, you're not helping matters just constantly getting into it with fans and saying that it, oh the refs are rigging this game so that we lose. You're not listen. This is not something you are going to have to deal with. This is something that your husband, fiance, whatever the whatever the relationship status is, mm-hmm. is going to have to deal with on a weekly basis and on a daily basis from reporters saying, "Hey, what do you think of your wife saying this on Twitter?" In my opinion, it almost feels like an audition for a reality show. Hey, that could be. I'm sorry. Like, that is how it's coming across to me. That if you're now having the story switch from the game to off-field nonsense. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I understand with with Mahomes' brother on the field dancing on the, the logo during the Sean Taylor game. That, I mean, that's just so disrespectful. But that was the narrative that was coming out of that game. There, there's just this common unwritten rule in the NFL that you don't dance on opposing teams' field. Juju Smith-Schuster learned that the fucking hard way. Mm-hmm. He danced, what was it, on Cincinnati's midfield? I believe so. I think it was Cincinnati's mid, uh, midfield logo, and he got blasted over the middle during the game for it. Well, I remember when Terrell Owens did it way back uh-huh. then. I mean, there, there's just an unwritten rule about playing the game with respect, and then if you're really trying to get a highlight in the right sense and the wrong sense. When you do it the wrong sense, things happen. Yep. They're not exactly uh, well reciprocated, so to speak. No. In this case, Mahomes is now having this distraction going on, and his team is faltering at every level. That the Super Bowl juggernaut that we all thought we were going to see this season is not there, and they got exposed. The fact that he is now has pressure on him to deliver, and he can't do it because he's getting sacked and he's getting pressured. They're now teams are now figuring them out. Yeah, and they need a whole lot of help and a hell of a win streak to even make it into the playoffs. Because I'm looking at the playoff standings as we record, and for the American Football Conference, they're currently in 11th place, uh, behind the Indianapolis Colts at 10, uh, who have went a tiebreaker over Kansas City, and it's a long thing I won't even read. Uh, behind the New England Patriots at nine, and then you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers at eight. So, yeah, you know, so the 
Kansas City needs a hell of a lot of help and a miracle to get in the playoffs. Well, the, the biggest problem is, can they get back on the winning track? And the answer is, at this maybe. point, no. Well, it's it's leaning no. But if you call up their schedule, I will do that, which we can break down easily. Look at the teams they're facing. Look if they have a solid running game. And look at their defense. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of do compare and contrast here. Sure. All right, so their uh, next game they have is this week on Monday Night Football against the Giants. All right, that should be a win. Uh, Green Bay Packers in Week 9. Debatable. Uh, Raiders in Week 10. No. In that minus, they won't win. Saying, Raider, Raiders no, are going to take that no, one. No, that's in Vegas. Uh, week 11, they play Dallas. Probably not. I would say originally at the beginning of the season, but I'm going to say probably not. Uh, they got a bye week in Week 12. Week 13, uh, they're playing the Denver Broncos. They should win that. They should, but given the way Kansas Division, Division Kansas City, the way they're playing, you never know. Uh, after that, they've got the Raiders again. Uh, they could split. Uh, then they've got the Chargers in Week 15. <laughs> Who knows? It's Chargers. Uh, they've got the Steelers in Week 16. Uh, that's a 50-52. Uh, Bengals in Week 17. No. And right now, no. Right now, hell no. Uh, and then they've got Denver to close out the year. So... <sighs> Going by that logic, you're almost splitting the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And in how stacked the AFC North is, yep. I don't see them sneaking in. I, I really don't. I think there's a lot of things that could go in their favor, though, too. I mean, if they do beat a Raider team that doesn't show up, yeah. even though I think they will, and they have a very solid running game, mm-hmm. I think that some of those other teams like Dallas, yeah. who originally this season – I was going to say that should have been an easy win, but yeah. let's face it, Trayvon Diggs has changed that defense. And plus, if, if they're smart and I think Dallas has figured it out, give Zeke the ball. Yeah. They're going to keep Zeke more. They're going to keep Mahomes off the field half that game. And then you look, I mean, the Giants, that should be an easy win. Should be. I think yeah. if the Giants wind up winning. Uh, we will avoid Coach Duffy 11 on Twitter for the rest of the week. Yep. Because we'll never hear the end of it. Shout yep. out to you, Coach. Um, but I think the Kansas City is looking to go 50-50 at best. It just depends on certain certain games and who shows up. Yeah. The Chargers, the Chargers division, so that's a 50-50. Even Denver, I mean, that's the one thing. Those, If it's a rival, they show up. Yeah, and I mean, again, looking at the, comp, the AFC conference standings, right now you've got two teams from the uh, AFC West with Vegas and L.A. making it in, and then you've got two teams from the North making it in with Cleveland and then uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. There's just the, the AFC is that good where you cannot stumble a la, you know, the NFC East and make it into the playoffs. And that's the thing that Kansas City is going to need to figure out quick. I just don't know if they're going to have enough time to. Like, should they run the Giants out of the stadium this week? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's say the line, I forget what the line is, but the line on that's double digits. Yeah. And rightfully they sh- so. They should. They should, but this will be the one time the Giants show up like they did against New Orleans. They yeah. completely screw me over on that. Haven't forgotten about that. But in closing with this game, it all depends on what Mahomes is going to do because obviously being the face of that franchise, and you can see the frustration on his teammates. Oh, I, know, yeah. I know him and Kelsey were barking at each other during this game. Well, and, and obviously Kelsey and, and Mahomes are of that certain standard with, with players in sports where they they hold themselves to a higher regard. That, sure. That, and it's not even like an ego thing. It's just that they know they're good, so they want to play the absolute best that they can. And you know it's that like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, you know, effect, the Derek Jeter effect where it's like it's just absolutely killing them that they're playing as poorly as they are. Right, but that's where they are going to need to really sit back this week. They have to – I don't want to say this game is a must-win against the Giants, 
but it kind of is. It kind of is, because I think at this point, it's all of a sudden a lot harder to make it into the playoffs if you lose this game. Yeah, because if you lose this game to the Giants, it's a wrap, uh-huh. in my opinion. I think that going in there with five losses, and especially with the stretch you're looking at with Dallas and the Raiders coming up twice, Yep, that's the three games I would be most focused on if I was a Chiefs fan and kind of worried about. And, it, and it's just wild to think of where you would look at the schedule at the start of the season, even preseason, and go, you know what, there are only a few games that they could legitimately lose to there's only a few games they could legitimately win. No, and they get punched in the mouth as badly as they have, and they have no sign that this offensive line can protect Mahomes. Yeah. Once he gets happy feet, it's done. Even that injury he took, which, I mean, it was an accident of of just running into him, but it was like a soccer kick. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this team can bounce back if they can. If they falter, then I'm going to say the Chiefs' dynasty is over. Or or it's on pause. You know, Patriots the one year didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Didn't win. So, yeah. But, you know, it's it's different when they don't make it to the Super Bowl because there was a lot of different factors going on. True. Did they, they were not the offensive juggernaut that Kansas City was. True. So unless there was some major injuries happening, right. he, he, he can't make that comparison. Sure. This just goes to show Kansas City is just not on that level and they got exposed. So now if a great team is great – they find ways to bounce back. Mm-hmm. We'll see after next week. I'm not counting this Giants game. We're, I'm sorry. I, I can't. You can't. But if they bounce back after that against the Raiders, then we'll talk. Then we'll pay attention then. So let's go to my lock. Yeah. And this should have been a lot higher score. Uh-huh. This should have been. Yep. Detroit. You had one job. Yep. And that was lose to Stafford by a lot. Yep. But you did it. They were in this game until the very end. And then, Pad, the Rams took over, but not by a lot. No. Uh, yeah, the Rams ended up winning by the final score of 28-19. to Matthew Stafford had 28-41 of for 334 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Jared Goff, 22-36 uh, of for 268 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Yeah, this was surprising. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Jared Goff did not have this game circled on his calendar. Oh, he from the stories I've heard, he absolutely got it. Oh, he that. wanted to put on a show. And you know what? They, this game was a lot closer in the first half than I think anybody predicted, yours truly being top of that list. Yeah. But the Rams showed why they're one of the best teams in the NFC. And they did win very ugly. Yeah, it wasn't sexy. No, it definitely wasn't. Cooper Cup have you a game, but everybody else, uh, step your game up. If, if I'm not mistaken. Robert Woods, too. I'll give Woods some credit. Cup's on pace for setting, what, the all-time stats for a wide receiver? Uh, or, some, or some nonsense? Like, like in the various offensive categories, I want to put it, rephrase that. Um, so I'm looking at Cooper Cup stats. Uh, through the our recording, he has 56 uh, catches, which is good for first in the NFL. Mm-hmm. 809 receiving yards, which is good for first in the NFL. Uh, And then he has nine receiving touchdowns, which, again, is good for first in the NFL. Yeah, so he's going to be, like, the the greatest wide receiver of all time at the end of the season if he keeps up on this stat pace. Like, there's – it's absurd. Like, I heard this, like – Stat breakdown of what he's done this season. I'm like, I don't know. There's there's a dude up in uh, Cincinnati that I'm going to talk about in a little bit that I think might give him a run for his money. I yeah, I'm with you on that. But when I was hearing about this with Cup, I'm like, are you? Wait, are we talking about the same guy? Well, I think this is just what happens when you have a quarterback with a chip on his shoulder because he, let's face it, he know Stafford knows he's good. He was good in those years with Megatron. Just the rest of the team fucking sucked. Yeah. Well, sorry, Detroit Lions fans. Call a spade a spade. 
your team fucking sucked when you had Megatron and Stafford with Megatron arguably being one of, if not the best wide receiver in NFL history. You can have that debate all day long. Mm. But now you've got Stafford there, who in some of the stories I've heard is an absolute savage on and off the field. I heard a story uh, the other day about when he first got to Detroit and he was in a, in a film room with him and Orlovsky and they were breaking down film. And he looks at Orlovsky and goes, with the laser point, he goes, you could make that throw, right? And Orlovsky goes, yeah, probably. I think I could make that throw. And then they keep watching and he goes, that throw? You couldn't make that throw. I can make that throw. But that's the kind of guy you want in that locker room. And I will say this. He gave everything he could to Detroit. Oh, yeah. He literally, you talk about guys that leave it on the field. Could, he is a guy that took left hometown, Took hometown-friendly deals, could have left, and I don't think anybody would have been mad. No, he could have definitely took off in a different manner and done the typical diva moment, I guess you could say, as, yeah. as sometimes it's, it's referred to in the NFL. Yeah. No, he didn't. He gave everything he could, and then when they decided to finally cut him free, he is now going absolutely crazy. He, he's got a great team around him. I mean, the running game needs a little work. Daryl Henderson Jr., 15 carries, 45 yards, no touchdowns. Yeah, not the best. But that receiving core is just absolutely fucking filthy. Cooper Cup, 10 catches, 156 yards, two touchdowns. Robert Woods, six catches, 70 yards, no touchdowns. Tyler Higby, five catches, 46 yards. Van Jefferson, four catches, 43 yards. You know, Henderson Jr. had three catches for 19 yards. So he's finally got a decent receiving core around him that isn't just one dude that's going to get double covered all damn day long. And and then he's got the defense, which is absolutely stellar. Yeah, I mean, like I say, just the fact that Cooper Cup is the greatest wide receiver of all time, alleged. Like, I'm sorry, I, I can't even articulate of how much a difference this makes with Stafford now being with I the mean, Rams. Stafford's have putting up absolutely absurd numbers. I've got his stats up here. Uh, he has 22,000. Uh, 172 yards passing, which is good for third in the NFL. 19 touchdowns, which is good for second in the NFL. Only four interceptions, which is uh, tied for 10th in the NFL. And his QBR is 78.6, which is good for first in the NFL. Ridiculous, man. Good Lord. Ridiculous. But looking at what the Rams got lined up, though, I mean, obviously 6-1 and one is nothing to sneeze at. Second Absolutely place not. just right behind the Arizona, but... That goes to show of how good the NFC West is. Mm-hmm. Well, and their one loss to said Arizona team. Exactly. Uh, yeah, looking at their schedule, they've got uh, Houston this coming week. After that, they've got Tennessee and then Frisco before their bye week in week 11. And then to close out the year, they've got Green Bay, Jacksonville, Arizona again, uh, Seattle, Minnesota, Baltimore, and then San Francisco to close out the year. Some solid wins lined up there. Yeah. I think You know, the Rams are going to be in there. Their true test is going to be against Arizona to see yep. if they can sneak the first place in that division. That's on Monday Night Football. Yeah, that'll be some fun December football. December 13th. Ooh, ooh, late in the season, too. Mm-hmm. I like that. Oh, yeah. A lot of storylines going on with Los Angeles moving forward. The Detroit, there's nothing really to say about. I you're, mean, you're on seven. Uh, batter lock next year? Yeah, at this stage, you got to think the season's done. And, uh, it, and, oh, it's, it's done, but let's just see. Uh, they've got Philly this coming week. Uh, they'll probably lose that. Uh, Pittsburgh, that's probably – got a bye week, week nine, I should mention. Uh, Pittsburgh, week 10, probably should lose that. Cleveland, week 11, probably going to lose that. Uh, Chicago, week 12, that's a game – they might win that one. They might get that they one. They might win that one. Chicago, bit of a mess. Um, they got Minnesota, week 13, probably going to lose that. Denver, week 14, maybe. They could, maybe. Coin toss. Uh, Arizona, no. Uh, Atlanta, maybe. 
<laughs> it depends on which Atlanta team is going to show up. The one that can play well and win or the team that's still broken from the Super Bowl. Uh, and then Seattle and Green Bay to close out the year, which loss. Yeah, it, it's not looking good for Detroit. There's not a lot to really say. Ah, just better luck next year with that. Yep. Going around the league, I know there's a game you want to talk about. <laughs> Break it down, Pad. Yeah, so we got to talk about New England Patriots who put an absolute whooping on the New York Jets, uh, winning by the final score of 54-13. to 13. Uh, Mac Jones, 24 of 36 uh, for 307 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Zach Wilson, 6 to 10 for 51 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions. He did leave the game and is going to be out in a couple of weeks with a PCL sprain. Uh, didn't t- It wasn't back-to-back, but it was almost back-to-back. Mm. Uh, shots to the leg. Uh, he left the game and you had Mike White, who I saw described as a Madden creative character, which, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think so. Uh, he He's like in his fourth year in the NFL and he never played an NFL game, so yikes. Uh, he went 20 of 32 for 202 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, this was just an absolutely dominating game from all facets uh, on the Patriots side. Uh, and they put up 14 points in the first quarter, 17 points in the second quarter, and they only gave up uh, one touchdown in the second quarter before halftime. So it was a little lopsided. Damien Harris have a game, 14 carries, 106 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Brandon Bolden was your leading receiver with six catches, 79 yards, one touchdown. Uh, also going to give a shout-out to Kendrick Bourne, uh, giving Jacoby Myers a run for his money as QB2. Uh, Kendrick Bourne had a t- uh, touchdown pass, throwing tw- a 25-yard, you know, absolute floater to Nelson Aguilar. Uh, but no, it was a great game all, all around, I'd say, and it, was, and it was a good, you know, little tune-up, a good little setup because they do have an interesting game uh, coming up this week in uh, the Chargers. Yeah, I would definitely say that they want to be ready for that one, and this was a game that, let's face it, Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, not even a rookie quarterback, just a quarterback who hadn't even played in the NFL in four years. Once Mike White got in. Well, that's what I was saying. But between him and Wilson, this yeah. was this was the writing was on the wall. It was going to be a long day. And sure enough, it was the Patriots. Mac Jones is doing Mac Jones things. Uh-huh. If you're not sold that he's the guy, I don't know what to tell you. Because he's looking every bit of the role that he was supposed to fill on this team. And the Patriots are looking scary. Like, yeah. I, I know the record might not reflect it. But they are stepping in the right direction, which, I mean, everybody else in the AFC should be taking notice. I know I am as a Bills fan, and I know, I know everybody's saying, well, Josh Allen and company, listen, you have to respect the Patriots. You also can't overlook your opponents just because you're good because that's how they catch up with you and possibly surpass you. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think the Bills are being smart about because they haven't lost track of the Patriots. No. We forgot about the Dolphins. I got nothing to say about them. Yeah. And the Jets, well. You're, the, the Dolphins are just a whole mess in and of themselves. When you have reports coming out that the head coach is having to meet with your starter about, you know, trade rumors. And that you're our starter. Like, that's not good. Well, let's just face this. Okay. Atlanta beat Miami 30-28. to 28. Yep. Immediately, everybody was starting to talk about Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Immediately after this game. Yep. And I have said this. I have never been the biggest Tua fan from college. I do like Tua, though, as a person. Sure. Just I don't like Alabama, and, I, and I'm not shy about saying that. Sure. I have always felt Miami did a disservice to this kid. That when you brought him in the games, you started doing that whole nonsense with Fitzpatrick about letting him close. You didn't have faith in him as a starter. Yep. I understand he came back from a big injury. And listen, when he came back and... You know, had that great comeback story. That that's the narrative. That's what you should have ran with. Let the kid play. 
If you didn't have that much faith in him, why did you draft him to begin with that high? I can understand drafting him if you're high on him and you think he'll be good, but don't treat this shit like it's baseball and a guy's coming back from Tommy John and he's on a in an innings limit. Yeah. Don't pull that shit. Like, all or, all or nothing. Either you're going to start him until the wheels fall off and it's apparent that you got to yank his ass, a la Zach Wilson in the Patriots' first uh, game against them where it was abundantly clear you should have pulled him, but they didn't have anybody to put in at the time. Mm-hmm. Now they've signed Joe. Fl- they've traded for Joe Flacco, so Flacco's back in the, with the Jets, yeah. mind you. But the the thing with Tua is they absolutely screw him over because you you did this whole innings limit thing. Now, if you were concerned about his injury and you oh if we play him too much, you know the injury might resurface itself. Don't fucking start him. Yeah, just wait until he's a hundred percent ready to go. And you're comfortable with it, and then start him. Just don't pull this start him and stop him bullshit. Yeah, because now you've messed that kid up mentally. You have. I'm sorry. You cannot say with all the drama that you did to him last season, and now this year where, let's face it, you guys are not good. Nope. The record speaks for itself. And the minute that you lose to Atlanta, because who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Everybody starts talking trade again. The the voices got louder, and if your coach has to go talk to your quarterback – Miami is just a mess, and there's no other way to describe it. Yeah, I hope for his sake he does get traded because he deserves a reset somewhere. And if I am a GM, I'm looking at him saying there is potential there. But let's sit him behind somebody for a season or two Yeah, and see what we get. You know who would be a perfect place for him? What's that? Pittsburgh. Okay. Because you know what? Yeah. That way, listen, with Ben yeah. still performing as he does – you can go get to a give him time to sit behind him and learn. Yeah, and, and make it clear, Ben, because we know Ben's history with bringing in quarterbacks, and he doesn't really like that. Just make it abundantly clear to Ben, like, listen, we are not going to start this guy. We're going to Aaron Rodgers this, that he's going to sit behind you and learn from you until you are ready to go, and then we have our guy. Exactly. That would be the prime place to send him. Because, again, we know Ben's history with them taking quarterbacks in the draft and how he feels about that. Uh, if you don't know, look it up. Exactly. He doesn't take it well. No, he doesn't, which, I mean, no quarterback does. If you're if you're seeing that your replacement has already been picked, that is going to weigh heavy on your psyche. Yeah. It does. Yeah. But if they tell him, listen, this kid is not going to be starting anytime soon. We just want him to sit in back of you and yeah. learn. Just we have want a guy to come in who knows the system and isn't coming in on the fly. Yeah. I think that he might be more receptive to it. Yeah. But it all depends. Like, Because there's few other teams I could see Tua going to that he is going to have time to sit behind somebody and learn. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the teams, and Pittsburgh's the only one that I can see jumping out that, like, would make the, the most sense. The only one I can maybe see is Denver. You know, Denver needs a quarterback desperately. And I'm sorry, Teddy Bridgewater ain't the guy. Right. You know, Denver's one that jumps out to me. Um, looking at the other ones, nobody's really jumping out. Everyone's kind of got a quarterback or, or they're looking at or that. You know, Carolina's got Darnold, so, but Darnold's 50-50. You don't really know. It's too soon, I'd say, to, for that. But yeah, no, Denver or maybe even Pittsburgh. Denver is kind of a long shot, but then again, who are you going to sit in behind? Bridgewater? Yeah. I mean, that's the one problem you have there. Another one that could be, uh, uh, like, I would not want to send him there would be Atlanta, actually. Mm. Sit behind Matt Ryan. Yeah. Who knows how many years he's got left. Exactly. If you can sit him behind somebody and let him get some confidence back, I think that you could get something out of Tua eventually. Yeah. But I think right now, 
he's got to get out of Miami he's one got, way or another. He's got to. They, they're one and six. They're they're they have their one win was week one against the Patriots, which let's face it is looking like a fluke luck win now. Yeah, seventeen sixteen final. You got blown out by Buffalo thirty five to nothing the following week. Thirty one twenty eight loss to Vegas. Twenty seven seventeen loss to Indianapolis. Forty five to seventeen loss to Tampa Bay. Twenty three twenty loss to Jacksonville. Thirty to twenty eight loss to Atlanta. So you're still you know. Your losses, you're keeping close against some of the lower tier teams. You know, I won't. And some people, oh, you call New England a low tier team? No, it, listen, it's division. It's a whole different thing. And New England is not the same team they were week one. The test, I think, and the, the true litmus test of just how bad Miami is going to be, I think, is not this coming week against Buffalo because yikes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the following week against Houston because Houston ain't good. Yeah. And then it's going to be in two weeks after that when they play the Jets for the first time. Because, as we said before, the Jets fucking suck. Yeah, so this is where you're going to make or break with them. But I'm telling you right now, if your coach is already talking to him about trade rumors, this is a bad situation. Uh, you've got one wheel coming off the car as we speak. Yeah, you got to get out of there for, if you're going to salvage your career. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make it sound as dramatic as it's coming out, but listen, it's a fact. It, it's not good when you're not even like halfway through the season and you're already having your coach go to your quarterback and go, listen, we're not going to make any trades. We're, none of this is true. Yeah. So we'll have to kind of see how this plays out. I'm 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 rooting for him though. I'd like to see him get an honest shot. Oh yeah. But Miami is not going to be the place for him. No. Taking a quick look around the league, Cleveland won a gritty performance against Denver, seventeen to fourteen. Yeah. The Giants won against Carolina. That that game was like a baseball score through three quarters. It was like five three. It was absurd. Yeah, it was absurd, and the fact that the Giants won is even more absurd in my opinion. But hey, twenty five three. It is what it is. Taking a look, you know, you know what it was. Games. You know what? Sorry, you know what it was. It was the week before Halloween. Darnold saw ghosts. Oh my god! Because hey, guess what? The game was in the Meadowlands. Oh, you're not wrong. You're so not wrong. Darnold saw ghosts. The Raiders took it to Philly, thirty-three to twenty-two. Arizona put a whooping on Houston, thirty-one to five. Zach Ertz three catches, 60, uh, 66 yards, one touchdown. Yo, welcome to Arizona. Tom Brady did Tom Brady things to Chicago. I agree with what Coach Duffy said in our on our group chat for the locks and leaps thing. The fact that uh, the NFL decided to put this as the game of the week is a fucking travesty. Yeah, I agree. Thirty-eight to three is nothing. Like I get the I get the whole glitz and glamour with, oh, it's Brady versus Justin Fields. It's the widest age gap in NFL history between two starting quarterbacks. Yeah, no. Yeah, it was just bad. It was it was twenty-one to nothing after the first quarter. Yeah. And they're lucky they kept it at 38 because I guess I saw it going a lot higher. Indianapolis stuck one out on Sunday night. That game was fucking ugly. And I'm not t- just talking about the weather. Yo. No. The most boring team in football pulled out the win and made it very ugly. Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, real hard. Yep. Facts. All facts about that. 30-18 to 18 was the score in that one. Monday night, New Orleans t- uh, defeated Seattle, who's now 0-3 for the first time at home in, yeah. in a very, very long time. 13-10. Yeah. to 10. But to close out this segment, I know Pad wanted to talk about this game as well, and I'm all with you. How about those Bengals? Yo, uh, yeah, defeating the Baltimore Ravens, to which I would say, uh, to quote uh, Michael B. Jordan in the film Black Panther, look at this. Is this your king? You know, everyone crowning the Baltimore Ravens. You want to crown them, crown their ass? Uh, might be too soon, folks, uh, because they got absolutely destroyed by the Cincinnati Bengals, 41 to 17. Uh, Joe Burrow, 23 of 38, 416 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Lamar Jackson, 15 of 31, 257 yards passing, one touchdown, zero interceptions. But the stat everyone should be talking about, and if you're not, I'm about to tell you, Jamar 
Chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, lock him in, rookie of the year. Lock him in, offensive player of the year because the man is putting up absurd stats. Eight catches, 201 yards, one touchdown. For the season, he has 35 catches, tied for 24th in the NFL, 754 yards receiving, second in the NFL, only to Cooper Cup. Uh, six touchdowns, which is tied for fourth in the NFL. The man is averaging 21 and a half yards a catch. What in the actual ass? The Bengals are for real. I haven't seen numbers like that since I was playing Madden on easy mode. We talked about this on the preview show that if they stayed healthy, they would be very, very surprising. And this season, they have delivered on that. Joe Burrow is playing at a, such a high level right now. Joe Mixon is healthy and providing a ground game, which they sorely needed and is giving a great balance to this offense because Jamar Chase, like Pad said, is your rookie of the year. And I, and I love the swagger from Burrow because he's getting asked about this, you know, the, the connection they got and the numbers they're putting on him and Jamar Chase are putting up. And he's sitting there going, oh, you know, we had the one season together in college. You know, once he got drafted, we linked up and we threw some balls together. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Yeah, he's definitely like, I love it. He's definitely given some swag, and that's what they need to do with this team. That the Bengals, who have been an afterthought for so many years since at least the Carson Palmer injury, yeah, has now finally emerged as a true threat in the AFC. Uh, also, that game where they helped a certain team from Buffalo get in the playoffs, which, like I said, Andy Dalton, one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. I get you that jersey. Uh, I, you know what? I was going to say, I hope he gets traded to Buffalo one year or signs with him for like a one-day contract so I can go buy that jersey and go. feel confident about that. But the Bengals definitely surprised a lot of people. And it's not that Baltimore is a bad team. I know people are already writing them off after this game. Look, folks, great teams have a bad game once in a while. This happens. They're, they're still 5-2. and two. The Bengals is the narrative, though, because of how well they played. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I just think, it, you know, the, for the folks that might have been crowning them and saying, oh, the AFC runs through Baltimore, mm-hmm. might have spoke a little too soon. I agree with you on that. I think that the, the AFC is showing a lot of parody that it's not a lock for who's coming out of there going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Baltimore's in that conversation. You now have to put Cincinnati in their number one seed if the playoffs started today. But they're doing it on both sides of the ball. Yeah, They're keeping it very well balanced. And Joe Burrow is really energized his team with that swag. Like, we have not seen this like you touched on since the Carson Palmer, Chad Ochocinco. Yeah, oh, yeah. Days. Like, we have not seen this Bengals team have this much energy around it since then. But now they have a defense, which is playing downright nasty. Mm-hmm. And both teams got a real interesting schedule coming up. Uh, the Bengals have the New York Jets this coming Sunday. Uh, then they've got Cleveland Week 9. Uh, they've got a bye week, Week 10. And then they close out the year with Vegas, Pittsburgh, Chargers, Niners, Denver, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Cleveland. That's a rough stretch. Baltimore's arguably got it rougher. Uh, because, and, and folks, uh, when I name off a team that's in their division, hold up, you know, uh, hold up a finger. Uh, this coming week, they've got, they're on a bye week, uh, luckily for them. Uh, then they've got, to close out the year, they've got Minnesota week 9, uh, Miami week 10, Chicago week 11, Cleveland week 12, so there's one divisional opponent, uh, Pittsburgh week 13, so there's another divisional opponent, Cleveland again week 14, so there's, you know, a, a third divisional opponent game, Green Bay week 15, Cincinnati week 16, 
uh, Rams week 17, and then close out the year with Pittsburgh. So they've got like 10 games to remain, close out the year. Five of them are divisional opponents. That's a brutal Yo. run. In that division, that's brutal. But we're going to see what the teams are made of. Like I say, it's going to make for some great smash-mouth football, and that's yeah. what you want to see. That is what you come to expect from the AFC North, and now the Bengals are on that level. That is how scary this division is. Like We all talk about how good the NFC West is. I think it's been replaced. I really do. It's in the conversation. It's 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 definitely in the conversation. It's definitely something to talk about. And for Bengals fans, you got to be pumped up about this. you got to be excited about this. And for Ravens fans, listen, I think now you have to give the respect to the Bengals, but you'll be fine. Yeah. You're going to bounce back, and then we get some great football moving down the stretch from there. A lot of action going on this week in the NFL, but we gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takeaways from this past week's NFL action and who you got for next week? Let's talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. So this past week, the WWE had their Crown Jewel pay-per-view-esque event. Yep. I did not watch. Pad did. Yeah, I had nothing going on on Thursday, so I figured, yeah, why not? Because for me, I, I wasn't too excited about this card. Obviously, when they go over to Saudi Arabia for it, it's usually a very glorified house show. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked about this on 607TWS a lot between Rich from 3FN and myself. So, But Pad did watch the show, so we're going to kind of base uh, the reactions of the card off him. So, Pad, what you got for the results? Yeah, so the thing with this card is, you're right. In years past, it has been a glorified house show. I remember the first year they went, I think like every belt was put on the line, mm-hmm. with the exception of the women's belts. But every other belt was on the line, and none of them changed hands. Like, I was like, oh, wow, this could be really... And then the crowd was never really into it and what have you. You know, so they had a couple belts on the line for this card. You had the Raw Tag Team Championship belt on the line, the WWE Championship, the Women's SmackDown, the SmackDown Women's Championship, and then the Universal Championship were all on the line. You know, but I wasn't really expecting too much out of that to change just because you had this. And then the draft results from the WWE draft a couple weeks ago were set to take effect the next day. Mm. So it'd get real bonkers and crazy. I, I didn't think, you know, with them, especially them having to travel from Saudi Arabia back over to the States for Friday night back. I'm like, yeah, they're not going to do anything bad shit crazy. But I will say this wasn't, this felt more than a glorified house show. It felt like a mid-level, you know, uh, you know, card like I'm thinking maybe like a backlash type of thing where it's like not the the great spectacle of SummerSlam or WrestleMania, but not exactly great balls of fire. Mm-hmm. And, and, it is, and I think what helped is the crowd was genuinely into it and it was nuts. Uh, so the first match you had took place on the pre-show. Uh, this was between Jay Uso and Jimmy Uso uh, in a non-belt uh, match that wasn't for the belt, I should say, uh, between Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Okay. This took place on the pre-show. I did not see this because I didn't realize they were starting as early as they did, so I didn't catch it. But you had the Usos uh, defeat Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin via pinfall. Uh, but uh, the I did see the first match that took place on the card. They opened with Edge versus Rollins and Hell in a Cell. That was interesting. That was a hell of a pick. I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. And good goddamn almighty, that match was incredible. This was one of my two favorite matches of the night. Uh, this lasted 27 minutes, 37 seconds. This is arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Hell in a Cell match I've ever seen. 
Wow. If if you go out of your way to watch this car, to watch this match, I highly recommend it. Like, say what you will about the car and how you feel about it. Watch this match specifically because it was absolutely just insanity that, you know, there was one point where, you know, Rollins was getting ready to, to jump onto edge with a chair from the turnbuckle. Hmm. That it, you know, there was one point where another point where where or maybe it was Edge with I think it was Edge with the chair. There was another point where Rollins was on the turnbuckle, ready to jump onto Edge. Edge, you know, got up and knocked Rollins off the turnbuckle, and Rollins bounced off the side of the cage, fell to the floor, and into a table. Damn! It was just utter insanity. So this match was absolutely great. So they kind of seemingly end that feud. Yet they're both on Raw, so who knows? They could dip into that well again. Yeah, they can definitely dance around that. I know that Monday night, uh, Seth won the number one contendership match mm-hmm. that they had to close the show. So I think they're already ending the feud there. Yeah, which is all right because with Edge, I don't think he's going to be doing a long term deal. I think it's going to be kind of come in and do a program and then step out and come yeah. back. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. So yeah. I can't argue with that too much. No. So we'll have to kind of see how it goes for a future here. But, you know, it's Seth versus Big E. Sign me up. Oh, yeah. Uh, next up, you had a matchup between Mansoor and uh, Mustafa Ali. Uh, this one, I, I didn't go the way I thought it was going to be because Mansoor from uh, Saudi Arabia and from Rija. So, and we know WWE's history, given wrestlers wrestle in their hometowns, mm-hmm. generally how that goes. Uh, I was wrong in this, however. Uh, you had Mansoor defeat Mustafa Ali, pinning him. But then the real fun happened after the match was over where music hit and i was like oh are they about to do like a surprise you know entrance of like somebody debuting or something and you had a gentleman come out onto the entrance ramp you know there was no logo for like a name or anything so i'm like who the heck is this guy he was dressed in some garb you would typically see over in the middle east so like the the white coat and the pants and then the head covered up you know with all that going on and, and even though uh, it was michael cole byron saxon and Corey graves uh on the call and they were all confused uh, they're like who is this i have no idea even Corey Graves' quote-unquote sources had no idea who this was. Uh, but once he got into, the gentleman got into the ring, he took his uh, his face covering off. It was a, a silver medalist, I believe, from Saudi Arabia who just earned said uh, medal in the 2020 uh 2021 olympics over in tokyo uh and then mustafa ali went to confront him and he proceeded to give him a kick a karate kick to the face and knock him out of the ring so that was cool to see yeah that's definitely interesting yeah. to see and, and you know it it to see him uh fight in his hometown yeah that's that's always something too taraj hamid thank you that is the silver medalist in karate from yeah. saudi arabia yeah, so, that from so, that, Report. so that was cool uh, next up, you had for the Raw Tag Team Championships, the team of Randy Orton and Riddle in RK Bro, uh, uh, taking on AJ and Omos. Uh, and you had Randy and Riddle uh, retain said belts, defeating uh, the team in 8 minutes 41 seconds. Match was good, but I wish it would have gone on maybe five minutes longer. You know, felt a little, felt like start, stop. Highlight of this match, though, was our, uh, AJ and Omos came out first, and they were waiting in the ring. And then Randy's music hits, and him and Riddle come out. And Riddle has as typical these days comes out on his scooter, but he goes, no, wait. And then he goes back and he's taking forever. And the announcer team's like, what the hell's he doing? And then he comes out on a goddamn camel live camel. Oh my God. It was oh. utterly hilarious. So it was funny. Uh, match was good though. You know, nothing to write home about. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the biggest RKO bro team yeah. fan. I yeah. just, I'm, I'm sorry. The, it, it's, it's worn off on me that it's like, all right guys, let's just yeah. start feuding already and get it over with. But 
you know, you expect between those two and almost and AJ, you're going to get a solid match. Yeah. So nothing really super to write home about. Yeah. Uh, next up, you had the finals matchup for the Queen Queen's Crown Tournament that would crown the first ever uh, Queen of the Ring between mm. Zelina Vega and Dewdrop. Uh, and you had Zelina Vega emerge victorious, defeating Dewdrop in five minutes and 50 seconds. And I'm saying that in time for a very specific reason I'll get to in a minute. Uh, to become your first ever Queen of the Ring. Uh, got the crown, got the scepter. Looks very regal. All, you know, kneel before the Queen. Uh, the reason I bring up the time of five minutes and 50 seconds is I saw on Twitter, I believe it was, or maybe it was Reddit, the entirety of the Queen's Crown Tournament, when you add up the time, was less time than Edge and Rollins got at Hell in a Cell. Hmm. Edge and Rollins got 27 minutes, 37 seconds. Uh, the The entirety of Queen of the Ring was like in the 20, 25-minute range. WWE wants to sit there and say, oh, we're pushing the envelope and, and we're really making the women's evolution and, and pushing the envelope forward and, and making great prides in, Stra- in Stragas. Really, the first ever Queen's Crown Tournament, you're crowning the first ever Queen of the Ring, which, let's face it, there are some women over the years that could have easily held that crown sooner. Oh, facts. It would have been deservedly facts. so. I'm not saying Zelina's not deserving, but I'm saying there are other folks that could have done this if they had the idea years ago. But for the first ever event, it's the shortest match on the entire card? Really? Yeah, that's disheartening. In In my opinion, what they should have done with this I think they should have done a one night special on Peacock. Sure. And just have it be that night. Like do do the entire tournament in one second. Sure. Well and you know what you also could have done? Knocked off the pre show match between the Usos and, and her, her business. business because that was ten minutes of thirty eight seconds that utterly meant nothing because the Usos are on SmackDown still. Hurt business is still on Raw, so why the fuck are we having this matchup? Especially if the belts aren't on the line. Yeah. Let's like knock that out of the park, you know, get rid of that. Give the time to Zelina and Dewdrop. I think they should have. I mean, that's that is like I said, it's disheartening because the WWE has a great women's division yeah. that should be getting pushed a lot, yeah. and to have that tournament be done in five minutes, like, yeah, no, I, it, I, it was not good. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I mean, I would have been happy if Piper and Evan won. I know I should I, be I saying happy, drop, but yeah, I'm, was, I'm happy with Selena winning too. Though I'm ha- I was happy with this one and then King of the Ring. I was happy with either one. I wasn't going to be mad either way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next matchup was Ken's match, the favorite match of the night, and the one he was most looking forward oh, to. Fuck out of here. Uh, this was Goldberg versus Bobby Lashley. Now, this was a no holds barred match, but it was announced during the show or pre show or whatever that it was also going to be a false count anywhere match. Uh, the match, uh, you had Goldberg defeat Bobby Lashley via pinfall in 11 minutes and 25 seconds. So uh, it lasted longer than it did against uh, Brock Lesnar. Uh, wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't It wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but I had set the bar so low for this match that it actually exceeded it, that there were portions of it that were, I'm like, okay, because, you know, Goldberg speared Lashley through the timekeepers area, which was cool. You know, you had the Hurt Business with Alexander and Shelton Benjamin come out onto the ramp at one point, kendo sticks in hand. Mm. You know, they gave one to, to uh, 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 Lashley. You know, Goldberg took out Alexander and Benjamin, and then he started attacking uh, you know, Lashley, but the ending was pretty cool where they were on the ramp and then Goldberg basically tossed him and Lashley off of the ramp onto like this table. That, like they've gone through it a couple times over the years. It's like that table cover thing. That's off to the side of the ramps uh, mm. when, when they're coming down that Lashley and Goldberg went through that, got the pin one, two, three match. So the match wasn't great. And I'm not going to sit there and say, go out, watch it. You really shouldn't. You're not missing much, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. 
I still don't give a shit about this match. Bobby, <laughs> Bobby Lashley deserved better than this. Yeah. Uh, next up, you had the final for the King of the Ring uh, tournament between Xavier Woods and Finn Balor. And you had Xavier Woods fulfilling his lifelong dream to become the new King of the Ring, defeating Finn Balor in 9 minutes, 37 seconds. Match was okay. Nothing really to write home about. No crazy spots or anything. It was, you know, it was, was what it was. It was cool to see Xavier get his moment in the ring. Yeah, I'm happy he got the moment. I wasn't sure how this was going to play out, to be honest with you. I yeah. had the whole scenario going that Woods would lose and blame Kofi and they could start feuding. Yeah. Because I think that would have been great. But I'm not mad about this at all. I'd like to see Woods turn heel or do something with this. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of interesting when they did the coronation on SmackDown. I'm Listen, I'm glad that there were no shenanigans involved. Yeah, like it, he that had, threw he me a, off. He had a clean coronation. That threw me off a little bit. I wasn't sure how to take that. But I wasn't mad about it, like I said. I'm happy to see Woods do something with this. And, you know, like I said, he's called a shot for this for years. So it's great to see him get finally get the time with yeah. this. And then I believe we had your match of the night. So, yeah, this was my other uh, match uh, match of the night uh, between Big E and Drew McIntyre uh, for the WWE Championship. Uh, this one, of course, Drew McIntyre's last shot at the WWE Championship because no stipulations or anything. He's going to SmackDown and the Universal title's on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this match was just, again... If you only watch two matches from this card, make it one the Hell in a Cell match with Edge and Rollins. Make this the other one because, God damn, this is in my conversation for, like, top five matches of the year. It, it's up there because uh, you had Big E defeat Drew McIntyre via pinfall, 13 minutes, 22 seconds, which seems short, but they got a hell of a lot done in 13 minutes and 22 seconds. It was utter insanity. Uh, at one point, and this is, I'm not even joking, this was like in rapid succession, uh, reading from my live tweets I did on my uh, personal account. Uh, it, it, you had a future shock from Drew, Big E kicked out. Uh, big ending from Big E, Drew kicked out. Bulldog from Drew, Big E kicked out. You know, Drew, then you had Drew go for the Claymore, missed, and then he hit it again. Uh, Biggie kicked out of a second, but Biggie kicked out of another Claymore. Like they were just hitting, each, they were just hitting each other with finishers left, right, and center. That wasn't in like, oh, big ending. Couple of minutes go by. No, this was like big ending, kick out. You know, bulldog kick out. Like it was just a back and forth, utter insanity. And I'm like, oh my god, this isn't like I actually had to put my uh, will myself to pick my phone up to tweet it because I'm like, I don't want to miss a minute of this. I kind of figured the match would go like this because Drew wants to put Big E over on his way out to SmackDown. Oh, he did that in spades. Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing about Drew. I think that he understands being a former champion of how much being champion and, and being a strong champion looks. And obviously Big E just getting the belt, I mean, it's long overdue and seeing how he runs with it. This is a huge feather in his cap. And this is a very big win and to see those two go yeah. at it. Wouldn't mind seeing it get ran back sometime. And the crowd was super into it. I know when, when Drew hit the claim or late, the crowd was chanting one more time, one more time, one more time. Yeah. But Big E hit the beginning, and that was the end of that. But, yeah, I get, you know, Drew definitely put him over, and they had a shot of Drew as he was walking back up the ramp, and he just kind of gave, like, a you know, complimentary little salute point-looking thing. Yeah. And and they picked up Big E on the mic on the camera, you know, they like, hey, thank you, you know, going back and forth, like, hey, pounding the chest, like, definite respect between the two. Could be top five match of the year for me. Damn, that's high praise. Uh, next up in the co-main event, you had the match for the SmackDown Women's Championship uh, between Becky Lynch defending her belt against Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Uh, and you had Becky Lynch uh, win via pinfall uh, in 19 minutes and 22 seconds. Match was okay. You know, not. The, I thought it would have been better given the three women in the ring. You know, three of the best female wrestlers of all time and obviously of this generation. Mm-hmm. 
And they certainly complemented each other's abilities very well. And the match was good for what they can do, but there was really nothing that stood out to me going, oh, holy shit, you got to look out this moment, look up this moment from the match. You know, it was a fairly standard match and, and nothing to really write home about. I've heard nothing but really high praise about this match. It was, like, it was good. Like, but- like I said, uh, I did not catch this card, but I did hear about this. And obviously with these three women, women involved, I mean, you knew it was going to be a fine match. Yeah. Like you knew that they were going to deliver. And even like a standard match between them is a great match. Yeah. So I think that to see where their fuse are going to go, because obviously with the draft splitting up some people yeah. on the shows, yeah. we weren't really sure how this was going to uh, play out. And see Lynch get the belt back. Surprised at that? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Although I will say, because I'm looking at my Twitter feed and I'm now remembering, the one crazy moment from this uh, match, and I will show Ken, uh, is Bianca Belair when she... Holy shit. When she picked up Sasha Banks and held her up with one hand. Belair is so freakishly athletic, it's not even funny. She's got redonkulous strength. It is absurd. <sighs> that yeah, Good Lord, that was insane. That's nuts. Uh-huh. Uh, and then in the main event, obviously, uh, you had Roman Reigns taking on Brock Lesnar uh, for the Universal Championship, and you had Roman Reigns uh, retain his belt in 12 minutes and 20 seconds, but not without some shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, you had Brock open up with a bunch of suplexes, you know, you had Roman Superman punch, uh, you know, there was a, there was an absolutely bonkers moment. Roman hit, uh, Brock with a Superman punch. He hit him again. Lesnar went down. Roman went for the spear, but Brock leapt Roman. That's crazy. I'm talking like Kobe jumping the car back in the day. Like that's nuts. Brock got up and leapt over Roman and doing the spear. I was like, holy Fuck, what? Brock, uh, Ro- uh, Roman went into the turnbuckle, so you had that go down. Uh, you know, Brock hit Roman with three consecutive suplexes. Then he hit him with an F5. Roman kicked out, LOL. Mm. Uh, you know, Roman, or excuse me, uh, Roman put Brock in a guillotine. Brock uh, then hit Roman with a spine buster because he just picked him up and went, down, 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 boy. Makes sense. Uh, Brock went to hit Roman with an F5, but uh, Charles Robinson took the bump. Hmm. Uh, and Brock hmm. had the cover for like 15, but there was nobody out there to count. Uh, out there to count. Brock tried to revive Charles Robinson by picking him up by his waistband and dropping him on the in the <laughs> ring. But Charles Robinson, kudos to you, sir. Sold it like a champ and didn't wake up. That was that was funny. Uh, you know. Uh, turn around Roman hit him with a spear there. They both laid out. And then you have the moment where the Usos had made a run in and Heyman then tried to do something that I don't think has played out yet on SmackDown, but I think is going to play a factor down the road. Obviously Heyman was there with the belt at ringside as he typically is. And you had Roman and Brock laying in the ring laid out, didn't know what to do. And uh, Heyman took the belt toss it between the two and we couldn't tell who he was speaking to but he said you know what to do or so he yelled you know mm. you know what to do smart play tug of war bash you know uh lesnar got bashed with it and but then he had roman get the pin count one two three to retain the universal championship uh you know match was only 12 minutes and 20 seconds but they got a lot done and i'm very interested to see where they go with it obviously we know from smackdown uh, that aired the next night when uh, Brock decided to, uh, what was it, F5 Adam Pierce mm-hmm. that he is suspended indefinitely. Yeah. So, they're, so they're pulling out that trope again. You know, so obviously the feud isn't over yet. 
No, it definitely isn't. It's smart money to keep it going a little bit longer. I mean, I think we're going to see Brock take off now until Royal Rumble. Probably. I mean, it makes the most sense. Yeah, because you got to figure the next mat, uh, card is Survivor Series. Roman's obviously going to be facing probably Big E or unless the belt changes, you know, so he can't do it at Survivor Series. So probably the Rumble. Yeah, which I'm okay with. Yeah, I'm you know, all right with I, it. I'm perfectly fine. Brock doesn't need the belt. He can go no. do Brock things. Still the scariest human being on the planet. Just get rid of that man bun. Yeah, well, like I said, that makes him more scary. This is true. I ain't gonna say shit to him. But yeah, so that was the card. Overall, it was better than I thought it was gonna be. You know, it, and I know some people said, you know, it, it said the same thing that years past. It felt like, like you said, a glorified house show, and it, and it, they elevated it a little bit. And I got to give credit to the crowd for helping with that because the crowd genuinely, from start to finish was into it, that there wasn't people like sitting in the seats, turned around talking to people that like, no, the crowd was actually into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been hearing that from the show and it, it's cool that they really had some kind of memorable moments come out of this. Yeah. Uh, but still it's, it's, it's always in my head that it's a glorified house show, but I'm glad that if you, if you watched it, you enjoyed it, Pat, because yeah. I definitely was following you at Meslin on Twitter, getting those live updates and it sounded like it was a pretty dope yeah. card. Yeah, no, overall it was pretty dope. But it wasn't the biggest news coming out of WWE this week. No. So, uh, as we mentioned or alluded to in recapping the card, uh, that card took place on Thursday. SmackDown was the very next night in the state, in the states. So a bunch of those wrestlers had to catch a red eye back to the states. Which salute to you folks. Yeah, absolutely. That's a long ass flight. Uh, but obviously, with the way things going down, and we alluded to it last week, where Charlotte was still the Raw Women's Championship, and after the card, Becky Lynch was still the SmackDown Women's Championship. So we were wondering what might happen there. I think last week we speculated that Becky would lose, uh, Charlotte would have to vacate her belt, and then they'd have a tournament of some sorts. Well, obviously that wasn't the case. So they planned a, uh, a title exchange on SmackDown, as they did, well, I believe it was last year, between the Street Profits and the New Day. Yes. You know, Street Profits at the time were Raw Tag Team Champions. New Day was SmackDown Tag Team Champions. They were switching brands, exchange belts, drive home safely. So that was planned uh, for SmackDown, and they had that moment take place in the ring. But if you were watching, it seemed a little odd mm-hmm. because Sonya Deville was there to, you know, negotiate or, or moderate the uh, set exchange to make sure nothing happened. You know, so they went to go exchange the belts. Charlotte held, her, held hers out to give it to Becky. Becky wanted to grab it, and I believe at one point, you know, she didn't have the mic up to her, but it was close enough that she could pick up her, say, Becky two belts. Mm-hmm. Charlotte then threw the belt to the ground. Sonya Deville immediately said, pick it up, pick it up. Charlotte did and gave it to her, gave it to Becky. Becky then threw her belt at Charlotte. And and then you had Banks, you know, they were going back and forth. Sasha Banks came out to say her piece. You know, all the blue brand is still me, yada, yada. And Becky goes, you all just sort this out. I'll see one of you at SummerSlam or not SummerSlam Survivor Series mm. and, and walked out and I'm, myself included. I wasn't watching live, but I caught it later and went, that seems a little odd. The, yeah. Doesn't seem quite right. Turns out it wasn't. Uh, so as has been reported very widely by a great number of folks, uh, large and small, uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle, uh, backstage. No fisticuffs were involved, but verbal fisticuffs were involved where Becky and Charlotte got into it to the point where, uh, Charlotte was escorted by security from the premise, uh, of the arena. Yeah. Yeah. And from what I was reading and watching some videos yesterday, this all took place allegedly, uh, in gorilla with Vince there. Yeah. Allegedly. 
Allegedly. We have to stress allegedly. Allegedly. From what I, from a, play, a video I watched from some folks I trust very much with their reporting, allegedly this all took place in Gorilla with Vince there. And, and from what I was reading, Vince is a little incensed. Not at the fact that it all went down, but the fact that they did, uh, Charlotte didn't come to him about any of the issues because he's made it very clear to especially the top stars. Like if you have an issue, come to me mm-hmm. as we know from some folks stories over the years, how easily you get to him is dependent on your status, but somebody of Charlotte's stature, she says she needs help with something. He will be there at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had all this going on. So it's a messy look to say the least. And I think there's some truth to it because we're now several days removed from said incident and nothing has come out to the contrary, uh, as would normally happen. Mm hmm. This is just a bad look for Charlotte, in my opinion. Oh, it absolutely is. And I know the, the one of the stories or rumors going around is she, you know, they told her what was going to happen and she didn't like it because it made her look weak. As if winning 12 belts in six years doesn't make you look like the strongest woman's uh, female wrestler of all time. Come on. Yeah, I just, I don't buy that. I just think that for somebody that has grown up in the business and knows the business, mm-hmm. why would you do bad business? Yeah. Like that is the biggest takeaway I got from this, and I I know people were immediately running with the notion she wants to go AEW and you know join well, and Andrade. Yeah, that, that didn't help Andrade tweeting f u wwe the same night, right? Which could be about that, could be about something else. Who knows? There there is so much speculation going on with it. I mean, the only thing we can say is just in in my opinion, it's a bad look no yeah. matter what you do. And if this was an attempt to get released, I don't know. You don't want to exactly do business like that. And it's not going to help matters long term because the Internet never forgets. Nope. So you need to maybe carry yourself a little better if you're not going to get your way. Because if you don't... Don't bite the hand that feeds you because you might need to go back to set hand down the road. Yeah. You know, and, and I... I get her whole thing. Like, I, I see where she's coming from. Don't want to look weak in this and that. But, like, still at the same time, this business will pass you by. That there will come a time where you are no longer wrestling and that there are folks that will become better than you. Will, mm. will they equal your, you know, accolades? Maybe, maybe not. Time will tell. But the one I can think of is is Stone Cold. You know, as good and as great as Stone Cold was, that he's on a lot of people's Mount Rushmore for greatest wrestlers of all time among any federation. Yeah. As great as he is, there are folks, guys and girls in the ring in multiple federations that are better than him. Better than him. That it's just one of those things with all sports, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, even pro wrestling. It does pass you by that you, eventually your time will come where you can't do it anymore and and folks will become better than you. I mean, if you if you'd have told NFL fans 50 years ago that there'd be a guy, guys putting up numbers like Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup did, they'd tell you you're lying. If mm-hmm. Hell, 75 years ago, if you'd have told NFL fans that there's going to be a guy who throws 600 touchdown passes in the NFL, they'd have collectively shit their pants. Yeah, Tom Brady threw his 600 touchdown, touchdown pass this past week. If you'd have gone back in time and told NFL fans 100 years ago this, they'd have said you're lying. Mm-hmm. The game changed. The game passes you by. I think Charlotte's got to be careful that she doesn't, you know, start to hurt or tarnish her her reputation and her legacy with just some of the nonsense backstage she's pulling. I think she definitely has to worry about that. I think that CM Punk put it best way back when, when he said, 
no matter, to paraphrase a bit, no matter what happens to me, the machine will keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And it's sad but true that businesses will keep moving. That's what the WWE does. They, they do it better than anybody. And as WWE has shown, they will let people go. That seems really confusing. And, oh, my God, why would you do this? And business just keeps moving. Yeah. They're on pace for the greatest fiscal year they've ever had. Yeah. They're not worried about nothing. So if Charlotte thinks that she's bigger than WWE, be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. You just might get it. And it's not to say the grass is greener at AEW. Because the grass might not always be greener. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something we're going to definitely keep our eye about. Yeah. Speaking of AEW, to wrap up quickly, they've had kind of a, a very interesting week, and I don't even want to get into the nonsense about the ratings. And, yeah. And, and, and if you take a fraction divided by pi and add four-tenths of a quarter to it, you can equal about how they won the ratings they didn't here, this past here, weekend. Here's the thing I'll, I'll say with the ratings. You know, I'll give my piece on it. And I'm not going sure. to get super. Let me go a little inside baseball for you here. The only the only web, uh, people the ra- like the ratings matter for is the networks mm-hmm. and the advertisers. Facts. It's, it's fun for fans to look at, you know, how they did back and forth. That's fine. But I want to say specifically for the demographic mm-hmm. because that don't mean shit. Right. The only time a demographic matters or should matter is if you are the head of a marketing department. Because let's just say you are in the marketing department head for a new brand of uh, men's shaving cream. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is. And you want to market your shaving cream. Are you going to advertise your shaving cream on, you know, NFL on Fox, which is going to pull a point. I'm pulling random numbers out of my ass. 0.72 0.72 in the rating, or are you going to advertise it uh, for, you know, it, it pulls a 0.72 and males 18 to 49 for Fox on NFL afternoon game. Or are you going to advertise your brand new now men's shaving cream on real housewives of New Jersey or whatever the hell it is that pulls a 0.01 in males, 18 to 49. Yeah. That's the only time a demographic matters. You know, it, it's like, you know, and the thing with ratings is it's like what uh, AJ Hawk said on the Pat McAfee show yesterday when they were talking about the chiefs and how bad they are and stats and everything. The only stat that matters at the end of a game is the final score, right? You know, the, the, the Atlanta Falcons beat the new England Patriots for two and a half quarters in the super bowl. Mm-hmm. That is true. They were leading, but the final score was they lost. It's great that if AEW has a better demographic rating than than WWE. That's fine. That ain't the final score. Final score is you lost. Yep. And and it's and it's like I said, it's fun. It's fine to sit there and go for it and look at it. But if that's your be all end all argument, you've lost. I agree with you completely. I mean there's no other way to spin it. Listen, take the L, focus on your brand, stop letting WWE live rent free in your house. Mm-hmm. So let us switch focus to Dynamite, which is coming up this Wednesday. Yeah. And it is a very interesting card. I'm not going to go over a lot about it, okay. um, but there's a couple matches that definitely jumped out at me. One, we're getting the Dark Order versus the Elite in a four-way match. Ooh, so okay. this one, it's the, I, I would say, Super Smash Brothers, John Silver and Colt Cabana versus the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and Adam Cole. Okay. Which, I mean, we've kind of started seeing that happen a little bit more and more. I'm not super amped up about that match, but it'll be a fun match nevertheless. Sammy Guevara is taking on Ethan Page. Oh, okay. And there's a stipulation involved. Oh, boy. Shocker to nobody. Yeah. 
because unfortunately the one thing I will criticize AEW about a lot is we have to have every match have a stipulation. Yeah. Like everyone, if it's not a post-match beatdown, it's a stipulation. Drives me nuts. Anyway, uh, TNT titles on the line. If Sammy loses, he quits the inner circle. Done forever. Yawn. If he wins, though, he picks the opponents from American Top Team to take on the inner circle at full gear, I believe. <laughs> oh, shit. So I think I, Sammy's going to win outright. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've been saying this for a while on yeah. 607 TWS. I can't remember if I said it here on the ODPH, but I'm going to put it out there. Chris Jericho is going to be fighting Jorge Masvidal. I believe he did say that on here. Okay. It's going to happen, folks. Yeah. Like, accept it. It's going to be a thing. Uh, do I think this is a smart move by Masvidal before a match with Leon Edwards? No. Probably not. But not my place to make it, and he's going to get paid. So, you know what? I'm not mad about him because I get more Dan Lambert on my screen, and that's what I need because he is the best on the mic in AEW. How scary is that? Uh, him versus MJF, I need to have a debate one of these days. I need this in my life, Pat. So that is going to be a match to watch for. But I think the main event, well, at least is my main event. Okay. CM Punk is actually going to wrestle on Dynamite. Wow. Shocker. And he's taking on Bobby Fish. NHL must be off that night. That's the only thing I could guess at. But I'm intrigued by this match because I thought they were going to do this one at full gear after last week. Okay. And I'm still in this weird place with CM Punk being on AEW. Sure. Uh, if you heard his commentary on Rampage, or was it Dynamite last week, uh, it kind of starts sounding like we might start getting the old CM Punk back. Because the honeymoon about, phase... About, about fucking time. Well, the honeymoon phase just isn't working right now. And no. To see him playing the noble face running to make the save, I'm not buying it. And I'm just waiting to see him go full CM Punk if he's going to. I mean, if this is going to be the stack quote we get from him from here on out... I think it's too little too late, to be honest with you. Well, you know, I, I just I don't know how they're they're writing him and how much he has creative control about this. Sure. I think he has a lot, but I'm just the spark isn't there. What made him CM Punk pipe bomb CM Punk well, I haven't seen yet. I think he just might have waited too long. I mean, it could be. You you don't know, but I think with Bobby Fish, we're going to get a good match out. Oh, it'll be a good so, it'll, it'll be a good match. But I think if he does a change, it's too little too late because AEW's golden goose is not shitting out golden eggs. It's shitting out turds right now. Yeah. Because what's the one thing that AEW, you know, hardcore fans, you know, not not yourself because you're not obnoxious about it and, and waving the flag super fucking hard. Mm -hmm. But when CM Punk signed with AEW, what was kind of some of the things that were saying? Oh, this is it. This is the moment AEW is going to take over. This is going to put him to the moon. This is this is when WWE starts its decline into irrelevancy, and it hasn't happened yet. You know, you you added Punk, you added Brian Danielson, you added Adam Cole, baby. You know, and you're talking about all these other other folks who with a, a WWE whose contracts are coming up soon. You know, if they add that, oh my God, that'll just drive the stake the nail further into the coffin. You added the highest sought after prospect, you know, so to say, so to speak, in CM Punk, and you got your bump for all of a week, mm -hmm. and it's gone right back down. Where you know, mentioning in ratings and all that, Dynamite. Uh, not Dynamite, uh, Rampage might slip below 500,000 viewers next week. Well, it's the one problem that you have with that show is you're not doing anything real innovative to drive new fans to it. Yeah. And the thing, the, the expectation with Punk is he was going to bring back fans that were disenfranchised with WWE. Sure. He might have. 
There, there might be some, but I think if you notice the ratings on Monday Night Raw, mm-hmm. that got a big spike. I'll say Monday Night Raw, I saw the rating for that come out today. Monday Night Raw did like a 1.8 in the first hour, which was surprising given there was a Monday Night Football game on as well as a Manning cast. So yeah. You had Peyton and Eli. Raw still almost did a 2 million viewers in the first hour. Yeah, it so went down as the hours went on, but still they almost pulled a two with they, a Manning cast. They almost pulled it off. I mean, that's the big takeaway with this. So I don't know how to expect what this is going to go on, but I want to see what he does with Bobby Fish. Sure. If it's just a normal AEW CM Punk match and no building towards something at full gear. Sure. I don't think it's a good sign. I want to see something happen here where maybe just maybe we'll get some foreshadowing of who he's going to face at full gear. Cause I don't see him missing out on that card. Sure. I just don't know who he's going to be against. But that's why we're going to have to tune in Wednesday night and check it out. A lot of wrestling action going on this weekend. We definitely want to hear back from you. So definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Crown Jewel if you checked it out? What is your thoughts about Charlotte Flair and her drama right now with WWE? What is your thoughts about AEW coming up this week on Dynamite? And if you have some more wrestling and you were looking for some more wrestling, definitely make sure to check out the latest 607 TWS coming out this week where we talked Impact, we talked GCW, we talked a lot of pro wrestling topics with Rich from 3FN. So you definitely want to make sure you check that episode out. Also, we got to give a real quick shout out to our boy George Gatton, who wrestled over the weekend and won the Food Fight Championship over the weekend. Yeah, shout for out. Interspecies Wrestling. Shout out, Georgie. Shout out, Georgie. Congratulations. Uh, in the I believe the final matchup or like the last two in the ring was him and Greg Excellent. Oh, wow. Excite Wrestling again. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to them. Yeah. So definitely a lot of independent wrestling worth checking out. So make sure you do. And then hit us up and let us know what you caught this weekend. We definitely like talking wrestling with everybody. So that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies podcast. Bye. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got to round those bases with? Got a couple things to talk about. Got to mention real quick, the World Series matchup is set. It does start tonight, I think. As we record, it is the uh, Atlanta Braves versus a team. The 49 and three quarters other uh, states in the United States are rooting against in the uh, Houston Astros. And I say that because, let's face it, nobody outside of the Houston uh, greater area and Houston greater area is rooting for the Astros. Facts. Uh, So you've got 49 and three-quarter states rooting for the uh, Atlanta Braves, myself included. Good luck, Braves. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Got a couple other baseball things of note to talk about. Uh, First is uh, Ken Griffey Jr. now has an ownership stake in the Seattle Mariners group. Really? Yeah, so uh, reading from an article on ESPN.com, says Hall of Famer Ken Griffey Jr. is investing in the Seattle Mariners in a way he never has before. He'll be, he'll be part of the ownership group going forward. It was just a conversation, and it just kept snowballing, and then finally I was able to do uh, what I needed to need to do. So it wasn't like I woke up uh, woke up and said, you know what, I think I want to do this now. Basic conversation. What's next? And I uh, was able to pull the trigger this year. I had to wait my turn like everybody else. Close quote. 
Uh, so that's really awesome to see. Obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. seminal with the uh, Seattle Mariners and, and really loved and, be- and beloved up there. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers take note with Allen Iverson. Just saying. Uh, Got to mention, uh, too, the St. Louis Cardinals do have a new manager in Oliver Marmol. Uh, he has been the uh, Cardinals bench coach the last two years, and he was I guess he was considered the favorite by some uh, since the start of the search. He's really been with the team for a long time. Uh, he was drafted by St. Louis in 2007, uh, and, and he is only 35 years old. Uh, he is now the youngest active Major League Baseball uh, coach and the youngest uh, to manage any team on opening day since Eric Wedge, who was 35 with Cleveland in 2003. Oh, wow. He'll be the youngest to manage the Cardinals since Marty Marion, who was 34 in 1951, and he's younger than eight Cardinals players who appeared in a game this season, including Yadier Molina, who's 39 years old, and Adam Wainwright, who is 40 years old. So congratulations to you, sir. That's crazy. Uh, And then also some Boston Red Sox news. Uh, They are reportedly going to uh, evaluate the futures of Rafael Devers and and Xander Bogarts. So definitely not good news if you're a Boston Red Sox fan. They face some difficult decisions, and uh, they're going to be evaluating their futures with said player. Uh, You know what? So they could be trading or getting rid of uh, Bogarts and and Devers, which would be shocking to say the least. It's shocking, but they've been doing those kind of moves yeah, lately. Yeah, like, re- that's really been the offload. weird thing. They've really been offloading guys left, right, and center, so I would not be surprised if they just kind of clean house and, and start over. Uh, yeah, you know, you can't really. Which is shocking because they just got to the ALCS. They did, and that's like the wildest thing about it. That It's like if the, it's like if the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers had won the Super Bowl and then got rid of everybody the next season. Like, what? Yeah, like it just doesn't really make a ton of sense for him. So no. like, you sit there and you're like, okay, how are you guys doing this and why are you doing this? Because quite frankly, trading away all your star players, you're not known to do money ball. No. Like if this was Oakland, I'd been like, you they know al- what? They almost did. Yeah, they almost did. They almost got a uh, Billy Bean. But yeah, but I mean, well, one, I don't think he would. that would work. I just think with Boston is one of those towns you can't do. Mm-hmm. Like that. Just, I'm sorry. You just, you can't. It doesn't work out. No. You know, you got. The, you got, o- the only time I've seen something like this was, I think it was Toronto a couple of years ago when they signed like Jose Reyes and all these big name stars and then traded them like halfway through the season. Yeah. It's, it's a wild scenario with that. Like you to do that. So I don't exactly know how you're going to pull that off. I just, no, I'm, I'm I don't sorry. Know. I don't. So, going to my base, it's actually a quick local minute. Oh. Something has snuck up on us, Pad. Oh, what's that? That we did not realize. What's that? The Binghamton Bulldogs are back. Do you believe it? Uh, it's about that time of year, yeah. It's crazy. They're kicking off their season this Saturday against the Garden State Warriors at home in the brand-new Bulldog Sports Complex, 11 tw- or 1025 Robinson Hill Road, Johnson City, New York, if you are living in the 607. Wait a minute, Warriors. Clay Thompson and Curry are running through here? Oh, shit. I know. That's why originally I had to do a double-take, but no, it's the Garden State Warriors. Oh. So definitely we'll be keeping our eyes on those Bulldogs, man. Just time is flying by. It's, it's crazy to think that the season is already kicking off, but we are here. So for more information on that, BinghamtonBulldogs.com. So definitely good luck to the guys. We'll definitely be making our way to some games this season. Definitely excited to see the new sports complex. they got their yeah. own building now. So Which is cool. Kudos to them. Quick hockey minute because, you know, I do like to talk my New York Rangers, and shout out to them. Uh, a little bit of a tough stretch this week. Uh they got beat by Calgary 5-1 to one on Monday. Then they're going to be home against Columbus. And then they're traveling out west to those Seattle Krakens. 
So definitely hockey is back in full swing. They are looking good. I mean, obviously before the Calgary game, they lo- they were winners of their past four. So you definitely shout out to them starting the season off yeah. right. I mean, the team is clicking at the right time, but the Calgary loss was a little brutal. So obviously more information on them. NHL.com and just go find Rangers because they're fucking it's the Rangers. It's it's fantastic. And to close the base portion of the show, there's some UFC action going on this weekend. Uh Uh-huh. And this is a card that should be on pay-per-view, but luckily for us, it is not. No. UFC 267 is going to be taking place this week, Saturday in the States. 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the main card. Uh, it's coming from the United Arab Emirates mm-hmm. and in Abu Dhabi. So this is going to be a stacked card. Pad, you got the breakdown of the main card. Let's just kind of break that down, shall we? Sure. Uh, so the first matchup you have is in the light heavyweight division. Uh, that is between uh, Magomed Anklaev versus Volkan Ozmedir. Uh, Magomed, I think, is going to take this one. This is going to be a fun one in the light heavyweight division. Both guys definitely like to stand and throw some hands, so I'm excited to see this one, but I like Magdabev a lot in this one. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I'll say second-round stoppage. All right. Uh, next up in the welterweight division, you have a matchup between Li Jinglang versus Kazmat Chimeyev. Chimeyev is back. Let us talk about this. The guy that was lighting the UFC on fire uh, definitely had to take a pause yep. for a minute, and but now is back, healthy and ready to go. Jilang is going to be a great competition yeah. for him to see where he's standing. I, I'll be honest. I don't know how to pick. Like I would say Chimeyev hands down, but let's see how he comes back. I just want to see how he looks after such a long layoff coming back in the cage because obviously you know yeah. he, he was not in there doing a lot of work um, yeah. looking at his past track record. So definitely excited about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Jermaine's record. Uh, his last fight was on September 19th of 2020 where he knocked out his opponent in 17 seconds in the first round. Uh, he has nine professional matches under his uh, belt with nine wins, no losses. Uh, and on the flip side, uh, Jing Lang has 24 matches, 18 wins, six losses. Uh, he's on a one-fight win streak. I'm going to say Chimeyev, and I'm going to say this is going to be either by knockout or submission because, folks, he's got six wins by knockout, three wins by submission. Ain't none of them gone the distance. Exactly. Chimeyev does not exactly do decisions. The longest he's ever been on a fight was for a uh, Federation uh, uh, Brave CF card. Uh, This was in October of 2019. It went one minute and 15 seconds into the second round. That yeah. is the longest he's ever been in a fight. Yeah, he doesn't. He does not stick in the cage that long. But I want places to be. I'm just curious to see after a long layoff how he's going to be looking in this. That's yeah. that's the big takeaway for me. So yeah. definitely talk about that next week. Uh, and then in, next up in the heavyweight division, you have a matchup between Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tybura. Volkov should take this one easy. Ty, like Tybura is one of those fighters that just doesn't move the needle for me. He he'll stand there. He'll scrap. He'll 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 be in the competition. But sure. Volkov is just on a different level, in my opinion. So this should be an easy win for him, but you never know what's going to happen in the cage. But I do like Volkov a lot in this one. Uh, next up in the uh, lightweight division, you have a matchup between Islam uh, Machekov versus Dan Hooker. This is going to be an exciting fight. Should be good. Islam is considered like the next big guy in the lightweight division. Okay. So there's a lot of hype behind him. I do think this is a great test for him to see who he's going to or who who he really is in this division because let's face it we've seen fighters come and go yep 
with when they're said they're going to be the next big thing. And, usually and a curse mark. It, it usually happens. Taking on Dan Hooker is going to be a big challenge for him. That if he can handle Hooker with ease, as like he's been doing lately, this is a this can propel him right into a title contender shot. I'm going to say because uh, Islam has a 21 professional matches under his belt with a 20 and one record. Uh, the lone loss coming uh, against Adriana Martins. Uh, who knocked him out uh, in uh, UFC 192. That was back in October of 2015. Yeah. Uh, so that is his literal only loss in his career. On the flip side, Dan Hooker, 31 professional matches. He's 21-10 and 10 on a one-fight win streak, uh, winning his last match by unanimous decision in September of this year. Yeah, but to see the guys he lost to, though. Yeah. I mean, he took a few brutal losses. He's always in a great fight. Like, this is one thing. Hooker will scrap. Yeah. He will definitely stand with him. I just think it's Islam's, Islam's time. I yeah. just – it's nothing to oh, take away from Hooker. Like, if Hooker is still going to be a relevant name in the lightweight division, he's got to win this one outright. Yeah. He has to have a tremendous performance. I just don't know at this stage in the game because, like, you take a look at the guys he's fought. Yeah, I'm going to say Hooker, 31 years old. Uh, he lost to Michael Chandler. Uh, in Brutally. Jan- January of this year, he got knocked out. Uh, lost to Dustin Poirier by unanimous decision uh, in June of last year. Uh, beat Paul Felder in February of 2020, uh, beat Al Iaconta, beat James Vick, lost to Edson Barbosa in 2018, uh, beat Gilbert Burns, beat Jim Miller. You know, so he's definitely got uh, beat, or excuse me, lost to Guy Rodriguez. So he's definitely got some names uh, in his cap. He's got some names in his cap, but the few fights that jump out, the Poirier fight, that was a scrap. And the Paul Felder one was a fight of the year candidate. Yeah. So it's not to say he doesn't have some tread on the tires, as we like to say, but this is going to be a real litmus test to see where he's standing right now. I do like Islam in this one. I think that he's going to take this one. It, it could be a ground and pound type fight. I do see a lot of grappling going on, and yeah. I could see this one. I don't want to say a lay and pray, but this could be a snooze fest compared to some of the other fights on the card. <laughs> Quite possibly. It's just it's it's how it happens. But that's when you have a dominant grappler. I just think Hooker is going to try his damnedest to stay off the mat and keep this standing. Yeah. I just don't know how long he's going to be able to pull this off. Uh, next up is the co-main event of the evening in the bantamweight division between Peter Yan and Corey Sandhagen. And we should note, uh, this is for the interim UFC bantamweight championship. Yes, because Aljamain Sterling is still not ready to fight yet. Quote unquote. Yep. Uh, so Peter Yan is going to be taking on Sandhagen. This is going to be a fight of the year candidate. If you've mm-hmm. never seen either of these two gentlemen go at it. They do not mess around. No. Uh, Peter Yan in 17 professional matches has a 15-2 and two record. Uh, he lost to Aljamain Sterling via disqualification from an illegal knee uh, in March. Uh, previously to that, he was on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 fight win streak, mm-hmm. defeating the likes of Jose Aldo, uh, Uriah Faber, Jimmy Rivera, John Dotson, uh, I'm just to name a few. Uh, and then on the flip side, you've got Corey Sandhagen, who lost his last fight to TJ Dill- Dillashaw via split decision. That was back in July. Uh, but prior to that, he beat Frankie Edgar uh, via knockout uh, in February. Marlon Moraes uh, via knockout in October of last year. Lost to Aljamain Sterling uh, via submission in 2020. But then prior to that, was on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 fight win streak. Yeah. So these are going to be two guys to go in there and absolutely leave it all in the cage. I like Peter Yan in this one, but not by much. Sanhagen's going to scrap with him. This is going to go to decision. Yeah. But I do like this being split. 
And I tell you what, I do like Yan in this one. I think Yan is fired up because he wants another piece of Sterling. It was a boneheaded decision by him to throw that knee. Yep. And now it's come back to haunt him. So I think uh-huh. you're, you're going to see him definitely ready to go make a statement fight in this one. Yeah. But Sanhagen is not the guy that's going to be easy to take you know, the win from. So that's a wait and see. I'm, I'm super excited about that one. Yeah. And then we get to the main event. That is for the light heavyweight uh, division championship where Jan Blahovitz is defending his belt against Glover Teixeira. Uh, Blahovitz in 36 professional matches has a record of 28 and 8. His last loss was Tiago Santos in February of 2019. Uh, and then Glover Teixeira in 39 professional matches has a record of 32-7. and seven. His last loss was to Corey Anderson by unanimous decision. That was in July of 2018. So these are some seasoned veterans, and I am going to tell you what, this is going to be an interesting fight mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. I mean, Blahovitz did the champion versus champion fight against Israel Adesanya, yep. and obviously Adesanya did not come into that fight Mm-mm. in a good place, in my opinion, because no. when you don't bulk up to go fight somebody that came in a lot heavier than you, things happen. Just yeah, saying. All you got to do is make weight at the weigh, and after that, nah, you can add on some pounds, and Blow uh, Hovis did to the tune of like 30 pounds. Yeah, like I respect what he did. I do, but I also think it was a little crazy. So we now get to see a true test for Blahovitz because Glover Teixeira... He's a journeyman. At this stage in the game... I am I am blown away as in a title shot. Uh, turn, he is 41 years old. He will turn 42 before this fight takes place. To say he's been around is an understatement. And I remember when he debuted in the UFC, he struck fear in the, that entire light heavyweight division. Nobody wanted to fight him. Nobody. Because he would get in there and just straight up maul people. Glover's first professional, and note I say professional, this isn't like anything semi-professional or amateur. Uh, his first professional match was on June 7th of 2002. Damn. Do you know what you were doing on June 7th of 2002? I do. I don't want to say it because I'll make some people feel old. Yeah, same here. Damn. <laughs> That's the easiest way to describe it. Uh-huh. Uh, but I will say this. If Glover can pull off the win... This is going to be one of the most legendary comeback stories in all of sports history. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry for like being a guy that had his title shot, didn't come away with the gold. No. Because he who did he face? One John Jones. Uh-huh. And to see him kind of lose that luster a little bit from like I said, when he was the most scared guy in the division to now Well, you got to remember he so when he went in to face John, his only loss was in March of 2005. Mm. So he was on a hell of a win streak, but then he lost to John. You also got to remember he lost his very next fight, you know, a couple months later to Phil Davis. Yeah. So he lost back-to-back fights, so he definitely took a bump uh, down the ratings there. Right, from being the most scary guy, I should say. Not scared. Scary guy in the division to one that really fell off and had to put himself back together. And especially at this stage in the game, being 42, Uh to get that title shot, like I tell you, I'm rooting for Teixeira. I think Blahovitz is going to win. I think so, yeah. But... I would say Blahovitz has been on a bit of a tougher run, I would say, than than Glover. And listen, Glover's fought some great names, but just when I look at guys, I'm kind of looking at who they just fought as kind of like the litmus test of like, all right, you're ready. Listen, he beat Adesanya, which again, say what you will about the fight and the weight and everything. He still had to fight Adesanya in the ring, which is no easy feat. Exactly. Dominic Reyes, uh, he beat him. Jacare, Luke Rockhold, Nikita Krylov, Jimmy Manoa, uh, you know, just to name a few, you know. I'm looking at that going, you know what, tail of the tape and the list of guys he's beaten, I like it a little bit better than Glover. You know, because Glover beat Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith, Nikita Krylov, 
you know, Carl Robertson, Misha Cherkinoff, you know, the names I recognize more on uh, Blahovitz's side. Yeah, like I say, at this stage in the game, it should be Blahovitz. But I tell you what, if Teixeira wins, man, this is going to be some movie type stuff. Not taking away anything away from his skill, but just to pull it off at this stage in the game, that's truly tremendous. The card will be going down, like I said, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the States on ESPN+. Plus. So do you definitely want to make sure that you can go check that out wherever you watch the UFC action. And definitely we'll be talking about that next week on the ODPH podcast. But before we get on out of here, it's locks and leaps time. So after week seven, here is where the standings are. JT from the East Coast Avengers podcast is in first place at 34 points. Our very own Padawan Jay is at 30 right behind him. Hey, oh. Rich from 3FN is right behind Pat at 29 points. Mash from Hops Geeks News is right there at 27. Your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, has been on a hot streak right now. Hey. He's been putting up some points in this. He is now in fifth place at 26. Maybe he can teach his Giants a few things. Hey. Well, we're still waiting on the coach to come back, which we've heard will be very, very soon. Hey. That is the rumor right now. So the wanted poster is out for him right now. So if you can find that online, definitely send it to us. Uh, behind him, though, back to the stats, is Evan the Great from the Villains Demand Crossover Collision Podcast at 25. Then there's a four-way 24-point stat, you know, block yeah. in, in the tourney right now. Joey from the Soul Wizard Podcast, Mac we- or Mac East, and Jay West from the We Get Dub Podcast, and yours truly is at 24 points. Right behind us is JVD from Villains Demand at 23, Andy Adams and Brian Wayne from Cheers to Comics at 20 points. So, Pad, that being said, who you got for your lock and your leap this week? You may love me or hate me for my lock. I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills. Get them. Currently favored by 13 and a half points over the Miami Dolphins. Listen, normally I'd avoid that, but the Bills hung 35 on them last time and they didn't let up a point. I like them odds. And I'm going to stick with the AFC East for my leap. I'm going to take the New England Patriots, who are currently five and a half point underdogs, to the San Diego Chargers. I think they'll be able to pull it off. They're playing real good. They're playing real hot. Uh, So I'm going to take the Patriots. Pat and I do not share notes about who we take before we get on air. Facts. I am taking the leap as well. Hey, I'm on the Mac Jones train. Listen, all aboard. I don't, and I know I don't usually take the Chargers. So if Choo-choo, the Chargers, if the Chargers win, I'm going to be having a lot of words next week. And I normally would go with the Bills because I hate Miami. This is this is well documented. This is very well documented. If you know me very well on the show and outside the show, I I the point spread scares me a little bit. I think that they're going to come back from this game fired up like nobody's business. The only thing that might give Miami a spark is if they pull off the Deshaun Watson trade between now and then. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. No, because I think we're quickly reaching the point where like he wouldn't be able to play just because of time and everything. Oh, that's right, because of the protocol. Yeah. Uh, either way, like I want to say it. I just hope the Bills come out a little hungry. I don't want to jinx my team, though, because if I lose to Miami, I will not hear the end of this from a certain somebody, and I don't need to deal with that in my life. So, that being said, I'm going on the swag train. Give me Cincinnati 10-point favorites over the Jets. All right. Uh, Flacco, no Flacco doesn't bother me one bit. I'm here for it. Bring it on. Let's go. So, that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH Podcast is that of Brian Wolf. 
He has a brand new song out. Yeah, he does. Catching a lot of steam on your radio down in Austin, Texas, and worldwide. Catching uh, some heat and uh, some a lot of views over on Spotify. Yes. So you definitely want to go check it out. But, Pat, where do I go to find out about Brian? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Brian. He's awesome. He might be coming back on the show at some point. He likes to talk Packers football. This is true. You can also check out everything going on with Second Suitor, where I should have Tyler on because Tyler was a Titans fan. And, and, you know, obviously the Titans did what they did to Buffalo egregiously. But he has a great band, though, you should definitely go check out. So definitely get some Second Suitor in your life. Check out Tom Jolu, Floodlands, Yard Party, Shout at the Robots, all the amazing musicians that give us their music to play each and every week on the ODPH. You can also check out The Classifieds, which have Friends of the Show, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we are in via the Podchaser page. Because, let's face it, if you claim you're in a pod group, especially on Twitter, and your group does not have a pod chaser page. You're not in a group. Just saying. So that being said, shout out to the Apocalypse, Shout out to the Inner Circle. And of course, shout out to 607 Podcast. And our guys over at 8122productions.com. And definitely, if you want to get more about what they're doing over there, patreon.com slash 8122productions. Check out the directory as well, which we have so many links to find the ODPH podcast. You can't say that we're not on your favorite provider. Because, Pad. How many providers are we on right now? It's like 11 or 12 at last count. That we just have posted. Yeah. It's not the official count because the last time we checked, it was like 35 or something Yo. like that. We're kind of big, especially on good pods, which I'm going to say, go check us out on there. Currently number one for sports, number one for wrestling, and we are in the top 20 for TV and film for the entertainment edition. Doing big things on there, so if you don't have good pods in your life, go get it because they do support indie podcasts. Ironically... We are not listed as an indie podcast there. Hmm. We're like the big time. Interesting. I mean, the ODPH doesn't like bragging, but, you know, the ODPH We're kind of does. a big deal. We're kind of a big deal. We do what we do. All of that, parlay points, and so much more. The T Public Store. Don't miss that. More designs coming this week, I hope. Figures crossed. All that and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So the one only, Paddle 1J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Yeah, fuck the Astros, too. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Sometimes I lay awake at night Wondering what life would be like If you weren't taken before your time The lessons you taught me Try to remember, try to engage sometimes Feels just like I'm staring at an empty page. Today, the grief it comes in waves. Crap.